Amen. Thank you. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for that this morning. It's a beautiful song. Praise the Father, praise the Son. We thank you for that. And Merry Christmas to all of you. I know we're one day away. I hope you got all your shopping done. I know I did. Did it all yesterday in about one trip, so I'm good to go. Oh, me. I guarantee you moms and grandmas are just like frantic still trying to get those last things together for Christmas tomorrow. But uh, I'm just going to preach about peace today so you can have some peace, okay? Uh, that's, that's my heart's desire today to leave you with some thoughts that are on my heart. I've entitled this message today, The Prince of Peace, The Prince of Peace. And uh, it's not really going to be a deep message. It's just a simple message that I'd like to just kind of leave with you in terms of what the Prince of Peace really wants to give us, and that's peace, peace. And so in my message today, I've chosen Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read those verses, but I'm not really going to camp there. I'm going to kind of jump around to a few passages that I think uh, were on my heart as I prepared this message. Stand with me now as we read God's Word. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. You may be seated. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not the peace of the world. That's not what he gives. He gives you a peace that passeth understanding. It passeth understanding. It's a peace you stand under. It's a peace you stand under. It defies logic. It's, I don't know how to say it. It's a crazy peace that he gives us. There's nothing like it in the world. And I want to talk to you about that today, this, this peace that defies logic. Because sometimes there's, there's these voices in our head that are competing with this peace. And these voices maybe go all the way back to our childhood or go back to things that have happened to us or things that we're thinking on right now. And they, and they just kind of get in our head and it affects our peace And these voices speak to us and they tell us certain things. They try to silence the peace that God wants you to have. You're not smart enough. You waited too long. You're too old. You're too young. You don't deserve this. You won't come out of this. And these voices, these voices in the back of our head just kind of come into our thoughts and they sometimes dominate the way we think and then it silences the peace of God in our lives. We talk about faith for bad times, but you also need faith in good times to actually believe that the goodness of God isn't going anywhere. And I think that's such an important statement that's kind of stuck with me the last month. But the voices in our heads happens when fear gets in your heart. It's really what drives it, fear. And the truth of the matter is, Uh, You're either feeding your fear or you're feeding your faith. It's one or the other. You you can't be in between. 
You're feeding your fear or you're feeding your faith. And when fear gets in your heart, it kind of overtakes the thoughts of peace. And that's really where my heart is today. I want to give you a definition of God's peace, kind of a working definition I'm going to use this morning as I get into this. Definition of God's peace. Resting in what God has done, is doing, and will do in your life. I think the key word there is resting. Resting in what God has done, is doing, and will do in your life. Now, resting in what God has done is far more difficult than receiving what God has done. You may have received him by faith, but now to rest in that is very difficult. And that's where my heart goes with this message today, to rest in it, to believe it will last, to believe his love will last, to believe you will last, to believe your life will last, and things will get better. That takes a lot of peace to overcome your thoughts, to do that. Now, in this passage in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, I just want to mention a few things about it because it says there that a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. The child speaks of the humanity of God, the humanity of Christ, and then the son speaks of the royalty or the deity of God. So you have the humanity and the deity of God in one. That's his first coming, and that's what experienced there in the prophecy in Isaiah 9-6. Then it says the government will rest on his shoulders. That's the second coming of Christ. That hasn't quite happened yet. There'll be an eternal rule over this universe, and it will all rest upon Jesus in the government. All right, that's the second coming. And then it gives some descriptions of Jesus. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. I love that one right there. You need a counselor. He's the one you go to. If people come to you and say, hey, can you refer me to a counselor? I can refer you to a counselor, but let me tell you something. The greatest counselor is Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor. That means he's a superior counselor, and he's the wisest counselor there is. He not only will give you counsel, but he will also empower you to be able to fulfill the counsel he gives you. That's the difference with that kind of counselor. Most counselors just give you advice. Most counselors just give direction, but he empowers you to be able to do that, and so he's a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Literally just stated that word is a word in the root word, which means the ultimate hero of strength. I like that phrase, the ultimate hero of strength. We translate it almighty God, and that's probably a good translation, almighty God. The everlasting father. Now, how could he be a father if he's a son? Well, this is not a title for Jesus. This is a description of Jesus. He's the father of eternity, or he's the originator of eternity. And it's good to get that in your mind. Jesus Christ is the originator of eternity. He's the source of eternal life and never-ending care. That's why you want to put your faith and trust in him because he tells you if you put your faith and trust in him, he is going to have unending care for you for eternity. He's the source of it, and then it carries on into eternity. It's beautiful to know. And the word I want to camp on is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. This is where my heart went. This week, as I was thinking about a Christmas Eve day message, the Prince of Peace is a reference to a peace treaty. It's where the the king sends out a print, his prince to form a peace treaty with someone. And so, in the context, in the past, God wrote a peace treaty, and He sent His Son to write it with His blood. That's, that's the idea of this phrase, Prince of Peace. So that in the past, 
He has provided a way for you to have peace. But right now, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, then he's at enmity with you. He, there is no blood to cover you that puts you at peace with him. And it's only through the blood of his son. And so if you have that, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, you turn from your sin and you claim him as Lord, then God says, man... It's only peace between you and me right now. All the enmity is gone. And that's what he did when he went to a cross. That's in the past. In the present, he gives you present peace. Okay? A resting. It's a beautiful word. A resting in the now. And this is the hardest one. Because some of you, it's very hard for you to rest in everything that you're going through. To rest. Okay, so I'm going to spend most of the time there. And then in the future, there is a final piece to come. That was verse 7 in Isaiah 9, where he's the supreme rule of Christ upon this earth. And he describes it in terms of a future peace that's coming that's going to be beyond any peace you could experience now. And it's going to be beautiful and wonderful. Now, with that thought, I, I, my mind ran to several passages, and I want to just share them with you. The first one is Philippians 4. If you have your Bible, turn over there to Philippians 4. What a verse. Philippians 4, or chapter. And I'm going to do a running commentary here for you on peace, okay? If you want peace, here's the formula from verse 4 to verse 9. Here we go. We're going to go right through it. I'm not feeling real preachy today. I'm feeling kind of talky. So I'm just going to kind of talk you through this because... I don't want to preach at you. There's going to be one thing I preach at you. It's going to be at the very end, and you're going to be, whoa, but I'll wait to get there, okay? Right now, I'm just going to be talking. All right, verse 4, rejoice. What does that mean? Take pleasure in him. That's all that means. Okay, this is the pathway of peace. Take pleasure in him, and again, I say to you, take pleasure in him. Verse 5, let your considerate spirit, your gentle spirit, your kind spirit be known to all men. Pathway to peace. The Lord is near. So what do I got to do there? In other words, is that you? Are you considerate? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Okay. This is the path of peace, all right? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Or are you caught up in a culture that's mean and tough and outspoken? and quick-witted with digs where you cut somebody down. It's the opposite of your path to peace. Now, we want presidents that are outspoken, but God doesn't. But we want them. And, and the problem is you get caught up in a culture where you think that's the cool way to be, that's the way to be. Just speak your mind. No. Be kind, be considerate, be gentle. That's, this is a path to peace. I'm trying to help you here, okay? So keep going here, all right? Let your gentleness be known to all. Let, you have an option. You don't have to do this, but if you want peace, let it be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. Can't you feel that? Can't you feel he's right around the corner? And he's saying, this is the path to peace, and I'm near, and I want you to be kind and generous in your spirit. Verse 6, don't be anxious for not be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything through medication and money. <laughs> Is that what it says? It works, doesn't it? Get a little money, get a little medication, I'll be just fine. That's all I need, just need my medication and just need money. And we all think that's the path to peace. That's the path to cover peace. That's the path of false peace, but it works. 
It works, okay? It's just not going to really help you where you really want to be helped. Right? Now, he says, let it be through prayer and petition. Let your request be made known with thanksgiving. That can't be right. This cannot be the path to peace. Every situation, you want me to be thankful, Lord. I mean, I can't pout. I, I, I can't crawl around and kick and scream and let everybody know what's going on in my life. You mean I can't do any of that? You mean I, I can't come up to you and tell you I'm not feeling you today? No. He says, just don't do that. Just give thanks for every situation you're in through prayer and petition. All right? You mean I got to pray with thanksgiving, with the spirit of thanksgiving? Yes. He says, let your requests be made known to God. Okay? Specific, that's a word for specific requests, not generic. Don't God bless the children, God bless the world, God bless our family. No. Have specific requests that you come to Him. Don't just say, God bless me. No, don't do that. You come up with a specific request through prayer and petition. And you know what He says it'll do? You can pray back your peace. Because you're going to lose your peace sometime, but you can pray it back. That's an incredible verse, all right? To pray back your peace. I wrote a prayer to pray back your peace, and maybe I'll read it at the end if there's time, but I won't read it right now, but you can pray back your peace. I just want you to know that, all right? Okay, so verse 7 then says, and the peace, once I do these things, verse 4 to 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, that peace will come to you and reassure your heart and it will transcend all understanding and it will stand guard over you. It will keep you. It will stand guard over you, your heart and your mind. That's what it will do. If you'll do these things, this is the result. And then he gives a further pathway of peace. Verse 8, finally, he says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, consider or think, meditate on these things. Okay, here's the path of peace, the path of peace, all right? Whatever is true, whatever is true, that's the first one, whatever is true. Stop lying to others and stop lying to yourself. One of the worst things you can do is lie to yourself about something and you won't face the truth about it. People point it out or people are saying to you, but you won't face it. So you're, you lie to yourself and you gotta start, you, you're not going to gain peace that way, okay? So to get peace, you've got to think on what is true. Then honorable, then pure, then wholesome, then lovely, then admirable. Think continually on these things. That's why you can't sleep. You're not thinking on these things. You're thinking about what's wrong in your life. You're thinking about what's going on in your life, and you're thinking about the wrong things. It starts with your mind. Your mind. Everything goes to your mind. Everything. I, I can't emphasize that enough. You've got to train your mind to think on admirable things, on lovely things, on commendable things, anything worthy of praise. He says, put your mind there. Well, I can't control it. My mind just keeps wandering right back. Get it back on that. You've got to think on these things. Then he says in verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, the Apostle Paul, practice these things. Okay, now you got a list here. you got a whole list of things you could do to get the peace of God to guard you in every situation you're in. The first thing, you pray back your peace. The second thing you do is you practice these things. You practice thinking on the right things. This doesn't come natural. 
You're fighting your own unredeemed mind. Your mind isn't redeemed. Your heart's new if you receive Christ, but your, your mind is not redeemed. It's an unredeemed mind. But you've got you've to take control of your thought life. And you've got to practice these things. You've got to pray for peace, then you've got to practice. And then God says, what does he say? Verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. There it is. You'll just pray back your peace, practice these things, think on these things, do the things that I just said to you. The God of peace will be with you. Okay, let's break that down a little further. My mind is the center of control of my life. My mind, my, my thought processes. It's where my members react to my thoughts, the members of my body, my affections, my appetites, my emotions. All of that starts in my mind. My memories, good or bad, you have good or bad memories, it doesn't matter. It all starts in the mind. Okay, so as you think about this mind, I, I really want to kind of hone in on this. Of all the parts that God wants from you, he most wants your mind. He most wants your mind. My heart's new, but my mind is unredeemed. The Bible says this. It's an amazing verse. It is with the mind we serve the Lord. Isaiah 26, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on thee. Whose mind is, it's all, it's all in the mind, okay? So what that tells me is if I was Satan, what I'd have to do to get to you is I'd have to go to your mind. I'd have to get your thought life. I'd have to put thoughts in your head. I'd have to do something to get to you. And I know the only way I could get to you is your mind because that's the only unredeemed part of you. And so as I think about this, the reason you snap with people is because you respond with your unredeemed mind. Your unredeemed mind. Now listen to this verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, your mind's not redeemed yet. It needs to be renewed. You've got to control your thought life. You've got to set your affections. You've got to set your mind on things if you're ever going to know the peace of God. This is an incredible thing. It's just so simple, but I want to make sure you understand it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the word metamorphosis. You've heard that word before. How does a caterpillar become a butterfly? It goes through a metamorphosis. It's transformed. It's the Greek word for the word to metamorphosize. Okay, and so that's how the butterfly does it. Well, he says, you got to do that with your mind. You got to transform, you got to change your thinking. You got to change your thinking because you're not thinking right. And therefore, in your unredeemed mind, it takes you to places that bring you down, take away your peace. But he says, if you'll transform your mind, God says, I'll begin to bring peace into your life. This is incredible just to try to get a hold of. So don't be conformed to it. Don't be conformed to this world. What's the point? Listen, let me just make it simple. Don't let it get to you. You are letting your world get to you. And he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it get to you, but be transformed by the changing of your thinking. 
There you go. Just simple stuff right there. Uh, and I want to keep it simple. Now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get, I'm going to back up. I'm going to give you two illustrations and we're going to close. All right. Here's the first one. Mark chapter four, verse 35. You know this story. You don't even need to turn there, but you're welcome to. Jesus is asleep on the bottom of the boat. They're out fishing and a storm comes up. And the disciples and Peter get flustered on the top of the boat. Now they get flustered on the top of the boat and Jesus is asleep down in the boat. They're flustered on top of the boat because the storm around them, they have let get down on the inside of them. They let the storm get down inside of them. Okay? And so... They get so bothered by the storm getting down inside of them, they begin to doubt Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It just took one storm and they're doubting Jesus. Don't you care for us? You don't care for us, God. You don't care. You do not care because we would not be in this storm if you cared. And so it fills them with doubt. They doubt the sleeping Jesus. I'm going to call him the sleeping Jesus for this story because this is what strikes to me. The sleeping Jesus in the middle of hurricane forces at sea is a picture of the peace of God. It's a picture of the peace of God. That God can go through storms and snore. God can go through storms and snore. You say, I know what you're thinking. I've talked to my wife about this already. Well, that was God. You're right, that was God. And he said, my peace I give to you. The same peace that I had in the storm, I give to you. A sleeping peace. A sleeping Jesus, and I give it to you. He's trying to give you this peace. He says, my peace I give to you. This indicates how strong his peace is. Now think about it, okay? His peace is so strong that he's not conformed to his world. He's not conformed to the weather. He's not conformed to the things going on around him. He's not reacting to the climate around him because he's not focused on the external circumstances. He's asleep. And he's the only one asleep on the boat. He's the only one asleep on the boat. Peter goes to wake him up. Don't you care that we perish? So he stirs Jesus, wakes him up, and Jesus kind of gets woken up there. He gets the sleep out of his eyes. He sees the storm and he says, Storm, be silenced. Peace, be still. And the storm just falls. And they know what Jesus does? First, he rebukes the storm. Then he rebukes his disciples. And he says to his disciples, O ye of little faith. Where's your faith, man? Where's your faith? So he rebukes the storm, but he also rebukes his disciples, which is an amazing thing to me. What did they do wrong? I'll tell you what they did wrong. Their emotions and their thoughts conformed to their environment. They conform to the world around them. 
They saw the storm, they saw the winds, they saw the waves, and all of a sudden they say, I'm scared. I'm scared because this storm is huge. But the only way they could have done that is to conform to their environment. I'm not happy with these waves. I'm scared of these waves. If I put it in modern-day language, somebody would say it's something like this. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd be married by now. So you're going to delay your peace until your circumstances change. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to delay my peace until my circumstances change. Now, the peace of God wants to give you peace now, but wait a minute. My circumstances have to change for my peace to be there. Or some of you are on the other foot. I can't have peace right now because I am married. So what'd you do? Now you let your spouse take your peace. So my circumstances have to change before I get my peace back because it was just taken by my spouse. If the storm on the outside has gotten on the inside of the boat, you know what happens? A boat sinks. That's what happens to a boat. Clearly that didn't happen here because the storm didn't get it on the inside or Jesus would be wet and it would have gone down with the boat. So we have a dry Jesus in hurricane forces at sea, asleep on a pillow. Now just get that in your head, okay? We have a sleeping Jesus, a wet boat on the outside, and all the disciples are wet, but Jesus is dry on the inside, asleep. Okay, you got the picture? I think you got the picture. I think I've gone through it well enough. Peter is panicked by the storm on the outside because the storm on the outside has gotten down into his soul. He got conformed to his world, and he let the storm get on the inside of him. So Jesus rebukes the wind, and he rebukes Peter. Peter, why'd you let the storm get in you? Oh, you of little faith. Because Peter has let the external circumstances become the internal experience of his life. So when we read, be not conformed to this world, it just simply means don't let this world get to you. Don't let this world get to you. You've got to get it into your thinking, into your mind, so you don't get wet on the inside. Some of you are letting yourself get all wet on the inside because it's wet on the outside. But you can't be conformed to this world. You've got to be transformed. You've got to renew your mind, and you've got to set your thinking in another direction. And when you transform your mind, all of a sudden your mouth changes. All of a sudden your hands change. All of a sudden your feet changes. All of a sudden your eyes change because you've been metamorphosized in your mind. You've changed the way you thought. You've changed the way you thought. Now I'm going to say this, okay? This will be the most important thing I say in this message. So if you forget everything else, don't forget this, all right? You walk away with this today. If you change your mind, God will change your life. God will change your life. Because you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason you're never going to come to a place of peace is because you won't change your mind. You won't change your thinking. Paul says it's simple. Just follow this process. You can pray back your peace, and you can also practice for peace. But you've got to do those two things in your life. 
all right? And if you'll change your mind, God will change your life. Second story, and I'm done, all right? Luke 15, you know this one well, too. You want to turn over the can? It's the prodigal son. He says to his dad, give me my inheritance now. Now, what father wants to hear that? I'd break your heart as a dad. I just want the money, dad. I just want your house. But the boy says, I can't wait for you to die, dad. I want your money and I want your house now. Give it to me now. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to the father to be in a situation like that. My son wants me to die so he can have my stuff. He'd rather have his stuff, my stuff than he'd have me. Doesn't that kill a father? It'd break a father's heart. You just want my money. But you don't want me. And so the son says, I want it now. So the father gives it to him. What father would do that? The only one I know is the heavenly father. And so the father gives it to his son, and he leaves with his inheritance. First place he goes, prostitutes. That's where his mind goes. I'm going to prostitutes. And he goes to prostitutes and hangs out with some really bad guys, really bad friends. But they were only his friends as long as he had something. As long as he had something, they were his friends. I wrote this in my notes. Watch out for people that don't see you for anything else other than an opportunity. Watch out for people. I don't care what age you are. I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to all of you. You watch out for people that don't see you for anything else than an opportunity. You think you got friends because you got so many friends on Facebook and on X and on Instagram. Let me tell you something. Be careful of that. You got all these smileys. You got all these thumbs up and you got all these hearts on there be careful be careful of that stuff okay because most people will disappoint you because they have a hidden agenda you got to learn that in life they have a hidden agenda it's so difficult it's so difficult to figure this out it's a lifetime of learning this it's so difficult to know if someone wants you for you or if they're waiting for the goods that fall to you to fall to them that's what you've got to figure out in life. Do they want me for me, or do they want the goods that are going to fall to you eventually fall to them? This kid couldn't figure that out. When he ran out of stuff, he ran out of friends. And all the harlots and friends left him before he got to the hog pen, conveniently. And when he got there, there he was, all alone. You ever been all alone? You ever been all alone? Wondered how you got there? To a Hebrew Jew, to be in a pig pen is to be in a slum. They don't eat pork because pork is unclean. They weren't supposed to be that. Here he is working around these pigs. But in his case, he's not eating pig. He's eating what the pigs eat. You can't get any lower than that. This kid has hit the bottom. He couldn't be in a worse place than this. Let me tell you this about God, okay? So you get this about God. God doesn't care how bad the place you are in is. He doesn't care. <laughs> he does not care how bad the place you are in is, and God doesn't care how low you get if you transform your mind. If you transform your mind. 
His body didn't move. His legs didn't move. But his mind changed. That's all that changed in this story. This is an amazing thing to catch a hold of. He metamorphosized himself. Luke 15, verse 17, the Bible says, He came to himself. He came to himself. He awakened. He was illuminated in the hog pen. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Doesn't matter how bad it is. He was illuminated in the hog pen, and God touched his heart, and the young man came to himself. And he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. This is beautiful. He was transformed by the same life, same father, same hog pen, same slop. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed there. The only thing that changed was his mind. Was his mind. His mind changed. When his mind changed, his decisions changed. When his decisions changed, his thinking changed. Everything changed when he came to himself. Everything. Everything changed. Why? He stopped lying to himself. See, you're never going to change until you stop lying to yourself. You're never going to change until you stop lying to others. He, he had to stop lying to himself in the pig tent. And so what does he say? He said, I'll rise and I'll go to my father. Wait, didn't you just leave dad a few weeks ago? And don't you just love the prostitutes and the pretty girls and the hangouts and the parties? Don't you, don't you want that life? No, his mind changed. So you'll never stop someone going to a party until their mind changes. Nothing wrong with some parties, okay, but I'm talking about severe parties, okay? You know what I'm talking about, okay? You can't stop someone from going back to that until their thinking changes. Their thinking changes. You can start, try all day long. But you've got to change the way they think. What happened? At the hog pen, his mind changed, and then his thoughts changed, and then his decisions changed. And what's the first thing he wanted to do? Where's the first place he wanted to go? He wanted to go back home. He wanted to go back home. Isn't that amazing? All of a sudden, the place he couldn't wait to get away from, now it looks good. Now it looks good, which teaches me some things about life, and I wrote it down this way. Be careful who and how you leave. You may have to come back to them one day. So the first thing he does in that pig pen when his mind changes is he starts to practice. He starts to practice. Philippians 4.9. Paul says, you're going to come to the pathway of peace. You've got to do some practicing. All right? So he starts to practice. He came to himself... And the only thing he changed was his mind. Dad was still dad, but he's practicing in the hog pen. How am I going to explain this? How am I going to explain this to dad? Dad, I've changed. Dad, I'm not the same boy who left a few weeks ago. I've come to myself, dad. By the way, coming to yourself in and of itself is a journey. That's a journey. Is it to Jerusalem? No. Is it to Syria? No. He came to a journey to himself. This is big, man. It's a journey to himself. The journey to himself. 
The journey to yourself may be longer than the journey to your father. That's the harder one, the journey to yourself. Lots of people make journeys to the father that have never made journeys to themselves. We call that religion. Religion is where you go to the Father, but you haven't done anything in your heart. You haven't repented. You haven't been truthful to yourself. You're lying to yourself. But you go to the Father and you do good things for the Father, but you haven't really been in a journey to yourself. You've only been in a journey to the Father. That's religion. As long as you journey to yourself, you're going to still be uh, until you journey to yourself, you're going to still be in turmoil. You've got to come to yourself. You can't really come to the Father because you really don't know yourself. And if you don't really know yourself, you don't know your own sinfulness, you don't know your own deceitfulness, your own self-sufficiency, you don't know your own ways, then you're never really going to get to the Father. Remember what Philippians 4 says to think on? Whatsoever things are true. That's the start. That's the start. That's the path of peace. And this boy had to start there. He had to start there. And he had to do it in a pig pen. He had to say some things that are true about himself. And that's what you have to do. You have to embrace the truth of all that's happened to you in your life. All that's happened to you in your life and who you are. You've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace it. So you must come to yourself. Why? So you can come to the Father. If you don't come to yourself, you can never really come to the Father. That's why you always start there. So what is peace? This is where I'm going here. Peace means to be aligned with oneself and with the Father in heaven. I align with myself where I really know who I am before God. I've got a sinful heart. But if I align myself with myself, then I can come to the Father. But I've got to get there first. I've got to get to myself first, all right? That's the story of the prodigal son. Now come back to Peter, all right? Peter is freaking out. He's the chief fisherman. And he's the most experienced fisherman, and he can't get them to the other side. The reason he can't get them to the other side is you can't speak peace to someone when you don't got peace going on inside of you. A sleeping Jesus can speak peace to the ways because he's got peace within him. If you have no calmness on the inside, you can't speak it to your family. Okay, now I'm preaching, all right? I'm preaching right now. You can't speak it to your family if you don't have it on the inside of you. Are you angry at your daughter for reflecting you? Well, she's got too much mouth. wonder where she got it from. That boy's a hothead. Yep, just like you. Understand this about raising kids. Raising kids is you wrestling with yourself in another form. Oh, my soul, that was deep. <laughs> Think about that for a while. Raising kids is you wrestling with yourself in another form. Man, that's deep. I'm not going there today. I didn't want to go there today, okay? It's just something to reflect on. Just something to reflect on. But I'm telling you this, people with inner peace speak and reflect what's on the inside of them. They speak and reflect what's on the inside of them. And when they speak, 
they speak it into others. That's the power of peace. It's not just in you, but now you speak it into others. All right. Enjoy the day. Go home and pray back your peace and practice some of these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Always. Always. Let's pray. I was going to read you this prayer I wrote. And I don't know who it's for, but I'm going to pray it. And if it's you, I'm asking the Spirit of God to speak to you through this prayer. Here it is. God, this is too much for me. I'm in over my head. I'm turning the battle over to you right now. No matter how much we love mom, we can't heal her. No matter how much we care for our children, we can't fix it. It's not our decision. God, I will trust you enough for however you want to work this out. Give me the grace to go through it. However you want to do it. And Lord, the only thing I ask you to do is rest in me. Remind me when I go back to my old ways you're still on my ship. As long as you're resting on my ship I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. And I pray this in the name of Jesus that it be so and so it is. Maybe some part of that prayer is your prayer. And I just pray that over you. Pray back your peace. Practice it. I don't know where God's speaking to you or what part of your life he's speaking to you, but it's so simple, but it's so hard because the journey to yourself is so much more difficult than the journey to an altar or a journey to the Father. Why don't you come to yourself? Man, the Father's there. Lord, I lift up this this time that we've spent to look at your word. I want to pray your peace over those that especially need it at this hour. Maybe there's a heaviness on their heart. Maybe there's something they're going through. Maybe no one knows about it, but they need a rest. They want to rest in you. Lord, I lift them up to you. I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And you'll be with us always. So God, we lay that before you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You have a need today. You have something you want to put at this altar. Some form of peace that you need. I want to invite you to come. The altar's open a need today in your heart. You come. Let's let the praise team sing.